Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. That uh, I was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, this last summer, as from an in- intermediate stage going into an advanced stage, and so they took me right in and did uh, some surgery and uh, took out some lymph nodes while they were at it, and uh, to make sure that it hadn't spread and. So I took a blood test about a month ago, and they said they got it all, no need for chemo, no need for radiation, we're good to go. So I have another 50 years uh, on my life. But I need you to pray for me for something else uh, that's very concerning to me, and that is uh, my hair keeps getting whiter and whiter and whiter, and we can't stop it. And so, so, I made a deal with my hair. I said, you can turn on me, but you can never leave. (laughs) But really, you know, older people are starting to inspire me. There's this lady, she's 90 years old. She came to her pastor and she said, pastor, the older I get, the sassier I get. He said, what do you mean? She says, I'm 90. He said, I know. And I'm going out with four men at a time. He said, four men at a time? You're a Christian. She says, yeah, I know, but I'm sassy. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, every morning I get up with arthritis and uh, willpower gets me out of bed. And and then I spend all day with a Charlie horse, but I go to bed at night with Ben Gay. (laughs) They are inspiring, you know. I I think the older you get, the one guy said, you know, the older I get, I start to resemble more the United States economy. I said, how's that? He said, well, my hair is in recession and my belly is in inflation. <laughs> so, but you know, the, just some time ago, I was at a Hawaii Starbucks, 6.30 a.m. now, and uh, this man, I'm not kidding you, he's walking with a cane about this fast, no faster than this, and he went up, ordered some coffee, and then slowly sat down and read the newspaper, and then he got up to go. Now, this is about 6.50 by now, and I walked up to him and I said, excuse me, sir, can I just say you inspire me? He said, why is that, son? I said, because obviously it's taken a great amount of effort for you to get up this early, come down to Starbucks, get uh, some coffee, and you could have stayed home. It'd be a lot easier, but you came down, you took the effort to come down here. He said, well, that's probably because I have a class at seven. I said, seven o'clock a.m.? I said, what class is this? He said, martial arts. I said, martial arts? I said, sir, what is your name? He said, Quentin Chambers. I said, my name is Wayne Cadero. But when he left, I sat down and Googled his name. Quentin Chambers is one of the highest ranking black belts in stick fighting. And I thought, man, I'm glad I was nice to him. He could have just gone whack, whack. Like Yoda, you know, and I'd be done. But they do inspire me. I've got a friend who's a pastor friend. He's 85 years old. His wife died at 82, 85. He got married again to a lady his age. And I went up to him and I said, you got married? He said, yes. I said, you go, boy. Wow, that's amazing. I said, how long did you date? He said, one month. I said, a month? You don't even know her. I said, how come so short? He said, I could have died. <laughs> I, reminds me of a song. It goes to the tune side by side. And it's about older people getting married without really knowing each other first, you know. And uh, you want to hear it? 
Yeah, it doesn't matter. I was going to sing it anyway. <laughs> and, and so it goes like this. <clears throat> we got married last Friday. I had my girl right beside me. My friends are all gone. And we were alone. Side by side. It gets better. <laughs> we were happily wed then. She got ready for bed when her teeth and her hair, she put on a chair <laughs> side by side. One glass eye so tiny, her hearing aids were small. But then she took her leg off, <laughs> put it on a chair in the hall. I stood there brokenhearted because most of my girl had departed. <laughs> so I slept on the chair. There was more of her there. <laughs> side by Well, today I want to continue in Pastor Bernie's series called Family Matters, and I want to talk to you about your spiritual legacy, a legacy that you leave, more important than you'll ever know. You know, I travel all around the world, and you know what I found for the most part? Christians are living beneath the level of it, their inheritance. I mean, God says to us in the book of Luke, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdoms, like that's our inheritance. But yet we live so far beneath that. But I know his inheritance is magnanimous. There's probably a million miracles waiting for us to apprehend, to take a hold of. How many of you could use more inheritance? Yeah, I tell you, it's like, I bet there's healing in there. There's wholeness. There's provision. But a lot of us live far beneath that. And I think, Lord, why aren't our, especially young new leaders in our country, why are they going off to the right and to the left and using all their potential in ways that just don't really matter for eternity, and they're going to waste their lives? Lord, why don't they tap more into the inheritance of the kingdom for their lives and their futures? Where's the key to that? And I thought, ah. It reminds me of a story where uh, there's a young man in Europe he was very poor, he was a pauper, yet he had a dream to go to America because there he had the hopes of a new life. So he sold everything he had, every stitch of every possession that he had, barely enough to gain the money necessary to get a one-way economy ticket on a wooden-hulled ship propelled only by the wind in its sails through a three-week journey over the Atlantic in the early 1800s. But he did what he needed to Sold everything, didn't even have enough money left for food, but he bought that ticket. Then he went around to his neighbors and got every piece of leftover bread, even though moldy and cheese, and he stacked it in a bag, a burlap bag, and he went on to the ship because that would be his sustenance for three weeks till he got to the new America. The ship launched, and the three-week journey continued. Then up above on the deck, he heard the cry of the statesman saying, we are now entering the Boston Harbor. Quickly, a stateroom orderly ran down, knocked on the door of this young man and said, sir, I don't know if you heard, but we're entering the Boston Harbor. 
As the man opened the door, the orderly looked in and saw cheese and, and bread stale on the floor. And the orderly said, sir, have you been eating cheese and bread this whole journey? He said, yes. And he told him the sad tale of that's all the money he had to just get one ticket. And the orderly said, didn't anybody tell you that when you bought your ticket, it included a sumptuous buffet every day? Sometimes I think we as Christians are living on cheese and bread when God has so much more in store. So then I say, Lord, why don't we access that? I found a key to that, one of the keys in, a, in an Old Testament story. And let me open the curtains to this story so that you'll see what's happening. Moses is passing the baton to a young man, Joshua. Remember that? They're still in this transition period. But the Amalekites come and attack the Israelites. Joshua is summoned to go down into the valley, bring out his sword, and he and his teammates are swinging the sword against the Amalekites. While Moses is up on the mountain lifting his hands over those that were of the Joshua generation, blessing them, praying for them. Now after a while, the Bible says Moses' hands got tired. And he dropped his hands. And lo and behold, when he dropped his hands, the Amalekites began to defeat the Israelites in the valley. And he lifted his hands again, began to pray fervently, and then it switched. Now Joshua was winning. And then he got tired again, and then the Amalekites started winning. Now Aaron and Hur, who were on the side, each, each side of Moses, saw this dilemma and said, you need to keep your hands up. Moses said, I'm tired. I'm going to sit down. And so here's what happens because they understood a necessity that we're about to find out about. And let's read it up on the screen here. Would you read it nice and loudly with me? Go. When Moses' arms grew tired, Aaron and Hur brought a stone for him to sit on while they stood beside him and held up his arms, holding them steady until the sun went down. In this way, Joshua totally defeated the Amalekites. Then the Lord said to Moses, write an account of this victory so that it will be... Not, uh, not often after an event does God say, whoa, 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 write this down. No, 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 just, you, you need to write it down because... What just happened here needs to be remembered forever. This is not just a one-time random event. This is something that took place that has a ton of collateral application for generations to come. What was going on? Moses was up on the hill with his hands up, and Joshua was fighting, and they would start to win. When he let his hands down, they would start to lose. And then they understood that it would require not only Joshua fighting, it would require Moses interceding. It didn't require just a young generation swinging a sword. It would require both of them acting together, and in doing so, victory would be eminent. Listen very carefully. God has designed in these last days, if we're going to win the war in these last days, God is designing a multi-generational army because we are fighting a multi-generational enemy. And the enemy knows exactly how to wage this war. Listen carefully. If he wants the people, the generation of Joshua to be defeated, all he has to do is to get those of us that are like Moses' 
to let our hands down and think we're over, we're done. Our shelf life is finished. Let me ask you this question. How many of you are 50 and over? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay, good, good. We're gonna call you Moseses and Miss Moseses. <laughs> How many of you are under 50? Raise your hand. We're gonna call you Joshua and the Joshuaettes. <laughs> now God has put a multi-generational army together. If we're gonna win the war in these last days, he has designed a multi-generational army because we're fighting a multi-generational enemy. You see, a lot of people that are 50 and over, we think, well, we're just kind of washed up. We can't deliver like we used to. So our shelf life is kind of over. Our expiration date is up and we're just going to bide our time because we're not as energetic as and able to as. So we're just going to kind of hang around and enjoy the rest of our life till Jesus takes us home. Oh, would hell love for you to think that way because then you let your hands down. And that's why a lot of this generation is going cuckoo. They're going nuts. They're not receiving the inheritance that Jesus Christ came to give them. They don't have the key to that. Why? Because it requires two keys. And the Moseses have one, and the Joshua generation has another. He's designed a multi-generational army. I was thinking about, is that important to you, God? It's more important than you'll ever know. Did you know in the New Testament, some people came up to the Lord and said, Lord, what's the greatest commandment of all? The Lord reaches all the way back to Deuteronomy 6 and says, here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he adds, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you remember that? He says, upon this, all the commandments hang. What we don't know is to whom Jesus was talking to, I mean, who God was talking to when it was written in Deuteronomy 6. We know who Jesus was talking to, some people who were asking the question, but what was the audience in the original setting? Who was he talking to? You're about to find out, and it might surprise you. It's going to come up on the board, and let's read it together, and you'll see. We're going to go back now to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy 6. Let's read it. Go. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Memorize his laws and tell them to your over... Yeah, stop right there. You see, when your kids ask you, just when they, your kids tell you, Mom, you already said that to me. You tell them, shut up. I'm going to say this over and over again because that's what the Bible tells me. So you just listen. All right, continue. Just thought you'd like to know. Go. Talk about them. Yeah. Hold off there. It says, now tell them to your what? So who's he talking to? He's talking to parents. Now, did you know that when the greatest command was given, he was already speaking or maybe inferring that we need a multi-generational army if we're going to win? Greatest commandment of all. Continue. Talk about it. Go. Talk about them all the time, whether you're at home or walking along the road or going to bed at night or getting up in the morning. He's saying talk about it all the time. Don't stop talking because, you see, one of the things we have a tendency to do is say, well, they're going to get mad at me or they won't like it, so I won't say anything. That's exactly what hell would love you to do. But you know that it's a violation of Deuteronomy 6. He says, you tell them over and over and over again. You talk about it all the time. If they give you a hard time, you just tell them, forget it. Read Deuteronomy 6. I'm doing what God's telling me to do. And if you're still unsure about who the audience is of this greatest commandment of the whole Bible, 
Let's look at a couple of verses prior to that and see what he says. Would you put that up? Go. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son. Who's he talking to? Grandparents. Who's your son, your son's son? Yeah, he's talking to grandparents. Yeah. Continue. By keeping all of his statutes and all of his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be you know what God is saying to those of you over 50? He's saying, I want to extend your years. Why? The reason you're not in heaven yet is because you still have some blessings and patriarchal and matriarchal blessings to pass on. The fight is still going on. You can't let your hands go down. Don't think your shelf life is all up. It's done. Let me speak to those of you 50 and over. There's a thing called patriarchs and matriarchs of the Old Testament. Patriarch, someone who, like Abraham, would bless Isaac, would bless his grandchildren. In fact, the kids would line up for the blessings. Remember, Abraham had a son, Isaac, and Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. They duked it out to try and get the blessings. They hoodwinked each other to try and get the blessings. They got mad at each other because it was so important. And then Jacob blesses his 12 sons or the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you look in the scriptures, it actually delineates each blessing that was given. Why? Why did they line up? Why did Joseph bring his kids, Manasseh, Ephraim and Manasseh, all the way from Egypt to be blessed by Jacob? I'll tell you why. Because they knew the blessings of a patriarch and a, and a matriarch were so important, it could actually alter the life of their children's future for the better. It was that important. He traveled all the way to get that blessing. You've got to give my sons your blessing, Dad. You've just got to do it. Why? Because it's that important. Do we still do that today? Not as much. Why? Well, Wayne, it's kind of like a Jewish tradition. What if I said to you, it's not a Jewish tradition. What if I said to you, it's a spiritual principle that we've abandoned? Why do you think he said, Moses, write this down, write this down. This stuff has to be remembered forever. It's a principle here. And you see, there's sometimes the Joshua's and the Joshuaettes of our community, they might miss their inheritance. Why? Because we're not turning our key and they're trying to turn theirs. And they're saying it doesn't fit, it doesn't work. Or that the patriarchs and the matriarchs don't speak up. Listen, in this building right now are tons of patriarchs and matriarchs. What's that? Well, you could be a grandparent, you could be a great-grandparent, you could be a parent, you could be an auntie, you could be an uncle, you could just be a young adult but for some reason, people in your family sort of look to you for what is God saying. The world says this, my college professor says this, but the church says this, uh, which one should I choose? And if we go, well, I'm whatever, I tell you what, the world will come and tell them the answer. The devil will be happy to tell them. And we have to speak up because that's the blessings that might alter their future for the better. And if we don't say anything, then that's why they lose that inheritance. Never, never think that your shelf life is up. Let me say this, those of you that are patriarchs and matriarchs, you have Joshua's and Joshuaettes needing direction. Do not be silent. Speak to them over and over again. They don't listen, you tell them again. And those of you that are Joshua's and Joshuaettes, who's your patriarch and matriarch? 
Is there anyone? Can I encourage you, give someone who is a patriarch or a matriarch, give someone permission to speak into your life. Because when you're at a crossroads and you're not sure, the world is ready to tell you. And it sounds so convincing, they'll lead you in a way that you will regret. But at the crossroads, you'll need the patriarchs and matriarchs. Go and talk to one of them. I was on my way to Bible college and an elderly lady behind me in church handed me a note and said, Wayne, I will be your prayer partner during your years in Bible college. I kept that note in my Bible for four years. And I look back now and I think, that lady was a matriarch to me. There's so many of them here. Do not underestimate the power of your role and your mantle. It's never to be taken to the grave. That's why I said, I will give you long life. Why? Because your authority, your mantle, was never designed to be taken to the grave. It was designed to be passed on. And when you do, things begin to happen. And the inheritance of God begins to be released. Moses had a Joshua. Elijah had an Elisha. We have Paul who had a Timothy. David had a Solomon. And you have Joshua's and Joshua's. Who are your Joshua's? They're all around here. Begin to bless them. Intercede for them. Speak to them. And if you're silent, they'll be in trouble. If you say the wrong thing, you can lead them astray. Your words are absolutely important to the kingdom's plans. You have to know. That's why he said, memorize my laws, parents, grandparents. Memorize them. Know my statutes. Because if you say the wrong thing, you'll lead them astray. I had a pastor friend of mine called me up one day. He said, Wayne, Chelsea, his daughter, Chelsea's getting married. I said, yeah, that's so cool. I've known Chelsea since she was in grade school. He said, I know. That's why I'm calling you. I said, what are you talking about? Well, she moved to Denver to get married. Uh-huh. And then as soon as she moved there, it's only six months before she got married, uh, they move in together. And they start sleeping together. I said, oh, she's been in church. She knows better than that to keep herself for her husband and not to get impatient on this. It's only six months. I said, yeah, and I'm a pastor. I said, well, call her. She said, he said to me, oh, no, uh, could you call her? I said, you call her. It's your daughter, you chicken. <laughs> He said, no, no, you've known her since eighth grade. So I said, all right, I'll call her. I called her up. Chelsea, hi. Oh, Pastor Wayne, how are you? Hey, I heard you're getting married. Congratulations. Yeah, but I heard that when you got there, you just moved in with your boyfriend. You only have six months. Well, you know, my boyfriend said because we'd have two apartments, it's, it's more economical. If we just have one, we'll save some money. So I said, so money now vetoes God's word. And when you should have honored your parent, who's a pastor, and if you would allow him to speak into your life and his words would then influence your decisions, then God's inheritance is far greater than six months of rent. And you've traded something huge for something minimal. Bad trade. Well, you know, uh, that was my boyfriend's idea and he's a Christian. I said, he's a Christian? Yeah. I said, let me talk to him. <laughs> He gets on the phone, hello, hey, Billy, this is Wayne Cadero. Oh, yeah, Chelsea's told me a lot about you. Yeah, and, you know, she's a Christian. Her dad's a pastor. Uh-huh. And you guys are living together. You only have six months. Well, you know, it's cheaper. I said, wait a minute. Secondly, not only does economy not trump God, number two, I said, Billy, um, 
Your father-in-law is going to be your father-in-law for a long time. And you start off on the wrong foot, you may end up with the wrong foot. <laughs> well, you know, uh, yeah, I know uh, Chelsea's dad's a pastor. You know, my grandfather's a pastor. I said, he is. I said, why don't you call your grandfather and ask him what he thinks, and I'll call you tomorrow. Okay. Click. Call him the next day. Billy, did you talk to your grandfather? Yes. What did he say? My grandfather said he didn't see a thing wrong with what we're doing. Okay, end of conversation. You see, when patriarchs that should be patriarchs say things that are not patriarchal, it messes up the Joshuas, and they get defeated, and they lose the inheritance that could have been theirs. Patriarch, that's why he said, memorize my laws. Make sure you obey them, because when you speak, your words actually influence their futures for the better or for the worse. Do not ever let... The devil tell you that you're washed up and you're not needed. The Joshua's futures depend on it. And even though you're a Joshua, you say, well, you know, maybe uh, I can do it on my own. Uh, this, this whole spiritual thing is a lot bigger than you'll ever believe. And the devil plays for keeps. He's going to go after you, your spouse, your kids, your grandkids. He's going to do everything he can to sway you away from the one who has given his life for your inheritance. Because he's wanting want to take you down and everybody else. And he does it very subtly. How does he do it? Real easy. He doesn't have to go after the Joshua's. He just gets Moses's to get tired. It's a spiritual principle. And so you have to understand the importance of your role, those of you that are patriarchs and matriarchs. And that blessing that you have, the life experience you have, that which resides in you is designed to be given away it's never designed to be taken to the grave. That's why I said, if you'll do it right, I'll give you a long life. Because that's not supposed to be taken to the grave. Well, I'm just waiting for the grave. No, don't you dare. You give it away as much as you can. That's why at, at my age now, I'm thinking the rest of my life, I'm just going to be helping these young men and women, passing on as many blessings as I can so I can see them inherit what God has for them. And I'd love to do that. But I can't take it to the grave. Neither can you. Don't you dare take it to the grave. Before Elijah was taken up, his mantle went to Elisha. He can't take it with him. It was never designed to be. And Elisha received the blessing of his patriarch, Elijah, and he asked for a double portion of that anointing. And if you read, Elisha did twice as many miracles as Elijah, his patriarch. Amazing. And I was really excited, and I thought, wow. This is cool. Who did Elisha then pass his mantle on to? And I read he had a servant named Gehazi. Didn't give it to him. He was greedy. Well, another guy, Jehu, was a king, tried to get that anointing. Didn't go to him. Well, his son, Jehoaz, nope, didn't go to him. And I thought, well, who'd you give your blessing to, Elisha? They could have had a double portion. Nobody. He took it to the grave. And I thought, no, Elisha. It's not designed to go to the grave. And the, the anointing that's on patriarchs and matriarchs goes beyond the grave. Let me tell you what happened. This will blow your mind. If you, you study uh, Gideon, a judge, uh, the Midianites used to sweep out of the hills around harvest time and, and just go grocery shopping on the Israelites. They'd steal their squash and their pumpkins and their tomatoes and cucumbers 
and then they'd wait for the wheat harvest. They'd come down after they you know, harvested all the wheat. They'd come and steal all the wheat. And uh, if anybody had any problems with that, they'd kill them. And then they'd take their harvest up, and then the Israelites are like, we are done for. Well, now later on, the Moabites are doing the same thing to the Israelites. So it's just like impoverishing Israel. There's a famine that's starting. Well, what happens is Elisha gets buried. In those days, they didn't bury you six feet under. They made a little divot, put you in there, threw some rocks on you. That's it. Now, later on, a funeral is taking place. Now, Elisha is buried there, dead and gone. And there, they've got another guy they're bringing in on this uh, stretcher or whatever, and he's dead, and they're going to bury him. Now, exactly at the moment when they're at the cemetery next to Elisha's grave, the Moabites come out and start to raid the Israelites. Something's about to happen that will blow your mind. And I've read this before and never understood it, but now I do. Let's read what happens. Go. So Elisha died, and they buried him. Now, bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, woo, he revived and stood on his feet. It's like, you know, he's dead. And it's, whoa, I'm alive. What in the world just happened? You see, what happened is Elisha took his anointing to the grave, and it was never designed for that. It's designed for the living. And it even makes dead come alive. You understand how powerful that is? There's some Joshua's that are dead ends right now. They're struggling. And if we will begin to put our hands up over them, something miraculous can take place because I believe there's a million miracles still in our inheritance waiting to be accessed. Now, I'm going to kind of tie it all together, but can I encourage those of you that are patriarchs and matriarchs, your ministry has just begun. And those of you that are Joshua's and Joshuaettes, your future depends on us working together. Because you need two keys to open this inheritance. When I was 31 years old, I uh, went to Hilo, Hawaii to pioneer some churches and and uh, I didn't know what to do. I was just brand new, a youth pastor. And, and I look at uh, the people of Hawaii and I think, what, what am, how am I going to reach these people? Well, I got a hold of a book written in the 1880s. It was about a man, it was an autobiography of a missionary named Titus Cohen, who in 1837 landed there at the shores of Hilo and loved the Hawaiian people so much that within three months he spoke his first sermon in Hawaiian. Three months. A huge revival took place and 10,000 Hawaiians came to Christ. He lived a fabulous life, wrote it out in an autobiography, and I got a hold of this book and I, I was just enthralled. I said, Lord, help me to learn this stuff. And then I thought, if he's a patriarch, who did he give his mantle to? Like Elijah did to Elisha. Who did this guy give it to? Now, I can learn from that person. So I, I started to research his children, and none of his children followed him in ministry. So I thought maybe it's one of the churches and the pastor of one of those churches that he passed it to. 
So I began to research the churches he planted. None of them followed in his ministry. And I thought, you took your anointing to the grave. You took your anointing to the grave. Just like Elisha did, didn't you? Titus Cohen, the blessing is still there. And so now you're going to think I'm weird and really crazy. But I thought, I got to find the grave of Titus Cohen. Because it's still alive. And I'm going to stand on that thing just like that guy in 2 Kings. So I researched and found out where his grave was. <laughs> There's a place called Halai Cemetery. And I remember the morning. It was a rainy morning. And I stood on his grave. And I looked up into heaven and I said, Lord, I mean no disrespect. But I believe his anointing is still here. And I'm praying for a double portion of this man's anointing. In Jesus' name. I look back now over the 35 years, and over 125,000 people have come to Christ in Hawaii through a new hope. And I thought, huh. Oh. 152 churches, and nearly 1,000 leaders are in churches today. As I look back and I thought, man, that's not me. That's way beyond me. It's uh, no way. I'm not touching that. I bet it's the anointing of God. It's God who gets all that glory. There's no way this boy could do that. And I thought, you know, the double portion of Titus Cohen's anointing. The powerful mantle of patriarchs and matriarchs were never designed to go to the grave. Do you understand the power in this church? And the Joshua's and the Moses's putting two keys and opening the inheritance. You do that, you watch. I bet there's a million miracles, not only in his inheritance, but stowed away in the hearts of the young Joshua's and Joshuaettes, waiting for someone to help them to have those dreams released. There's a million dreams waiting to be released. Let's do it together and see what God can do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.